I'm Dr. Vanessa Sinclair, an artist and psychoanalyst based in Sweden who works with people internationally, and this is episode 272 of Rendering Unconscious Podcast. Today, we have a very, very special episode. We're celebrating the release of a brand new book, This is the Strangest Life I've Ever Known, a Psychological Portrait of Jim Morrison by Dr. Anna Leone. Those of you who listen to the podcast regularly know that I've mentioned this book quite a few times over the past months because I, of course, got to read it before it came out as it is a Trapar book. You can find it at Trapar's website, trapart.net, or at Amazon or wherever you love to get your books online. Anna Leone is a writer, artist, and researcher. She started her career as a musician, and she has led a wonderful and exciting life. She's worked in photography, video installation, and performance. She holds a master's in film studies and did her thesis on psychoanalysis and Stanley Kubrick. Then she got a PhD in visual cultures and did her dissertation on issues of identity, public image, and visual representation in the films and videos of the Beatles. She's written for numerous magazines, publications, newspapers, and even worked at MTV Portugal. She's also the author of the piece, Dear Dr. Freud, in the collection, David Bowie, Critical Perspectives, from Rutledge, 2015. She currently lives in Paris. You can find links to everything mentioned in this episode at renderingunconscious.org. And if you'd like to watch a video of this conversation, you can find it at YouTube. Just visit Chapar Films' YouTube page. You can support Rendering Unconscious podcast at our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Vanessa23Carl. Huge, huge thanks to everyone at our Patreon community. Your support is hugely appreciated. Rendering Unconscious is a labor of love. I do all the work myself, the videoing, the editing, the booking, the interviewing. Everything is done by me. And I try to put out an episode at least once a week. Um, It's almost six years now, and I'm very happy to say that it's been a wonderful six years. I love growing this community. I've had such a great time interviewing all of these various guests and getting to promote people's wonderful work. And I'm excited to continue to do so in the future. So huge thanks to everyone at our Patreon. We have a wonderful and vibrant community there. I appreciate all your support and all your feedback. And I love chatting with you all at the Discord and through other various modalities. So thank you so much. If you'd like to follow me on social media, you can find me at rawsin underscore. That's R-A-W-S-I-N underscore at Twitter and Instagram or Dr. Vanessa Sinclair 23 at TikTok. And you should follow our guest, Anna Leone at Anna Leone at Instagram and Twitter. That's A-N-A-L-E-O-R-N-E. Hello, Anna. I'm so happy to have you here, and I'm so excited to talk about your new book. 
I have it right here. I've read it twice, as I mentioned. It is fantastic. This is the strangest life I've ever known. A psychological portrait of the one and only Jim Morrison. I'm so excited that you already read it twice. <laughs> it's so good. What made you decide to write this book? Well, the, the, the first thing is that I had this paper that I had written for um, this academic conference in 2016. So it goes further back. And the paper was already called This is the Strangest Life I've Ever Known. And it was basically the second chapter, more or less, like the psychological part, the Euros and the Thanatos, the persona conflict, you know, the Jim Jimbo, etc. So that part was kind of adapted. And then I presented at the conference was here in Paris. Uh, and yeah, what conference is this? This sounds amazing uh, already. Yeah, it's really cool. <laughs> I think they're still going. It's the U-pop. It's called it's European Pop Culture Conference. Uh, it's from a Finnish association. At, at least cool. it was at the time. And they do it yearly, I think. Uh, I think it's still going. At least in 2020, it was still going. Because I was still getting the updates. And that year it was, I don't think it's always at the same place. That year was here in Paris, in uh, Nanterre. And I presented it. I got great feedback. And I was like, yeah, this is cool. I'm going to put it aside for now. And years go by. And I was doing my PhD at the time. So I was, my PhD, it's about the Beatles. So I was just like, yeah, it's the same era, but different stuff. So I'm not going to do more stuff with this right now. And then this was during, I think this was during COVID because we use COVID as, <laughs> you know, a common denominator for a certain era. Mm -hmm. um, and it was when Carl sent me a message on Twitter about an article I had written for SFGate on the Russian embassy because he already enjoyed that article. He wanted to know about republication that's when I knew about Ferris Wolf and uh I was super excited and you know we chatted a bit and then I asked him if you know he was publishing stuff by other authors uh Trapart and at the time he was actually you know preparing the launch of Nina Antonia's book about uh, Oscar Wilde and he mm -hmm. told me that like we're this. It was like <laughs> yeah and I was like maybe I have something for you let me you know get some ideas on paper and when I have an idea you know I just I work pretty quickly and and then I sent him a proposal and that was it you know just I I wrote the book for trap art <laughs> just I, I I didn't you know I didn't have like the book written and I shopped around I just you know stuff just quickly formed inside my head you know the structure and then uh, a couple of things happened as well because I started getting like research material directly in my inbox and you know just it's magical it just yeah it is like you know when you're on a roll and it's that's that's the way to go, you know, so that's how it happened.
Absolutely. I feel like, like I was telling you before, I think we started recording, I got on a whole Jim Morrison kick after reading this the first time. And I, there was a little record fair that came to our town and I bought all the Doors records. I made sure I had all of them. And I bought all these like spoken word recordings that he did and the whole like Lizard King poem. And like, yeah, I have like two different versions of that. <laughs> I'm like ordered the the book of poetry the lords and the new creatures and then I had to cut it up because the poetry is so like amazing and magical I was like this needs to be cut up but then I had to order like the big book of the whole like big black book collection of like all of his collective writings so yeah it was a whole kick out at that time right was like the collected work the big volume and then there was like uh another volume published like the year after that it's called the guide to the labyrinth Ooh, which is okay, like one of get those <laughs> you know those super expensive facsimile stuff right and i got that on on an email you know the the digital version of that so i use that for research because the pages are actually you know the facsimile pages from his journal so sometimes you get a different interpretation um about you know like you know how it is like if if you change lines in the middle of a sentence the sentence will have a different meaning and you know that kind of stuff and I also like to look at handwriting you know I love handwriting so me too yeah I love seeing people's handwriting and their little drawings like doodles and things exactly yeah 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 you know because I have I have this relationship with both you know, you know the doors I mean I, I love the doors, uh, but even with the poetry of Jim Morrison, because I I remember like I obviously had heard about the doors when I was little, but it wasn't like a band that my parents listened to a lot. I think then came the 90s and then with Oliver Stone's film, like everybody started, I think Gen X, you know, late Gen X. Uh, ha- reconnected <laughs> with the doors. Yeah, I'm cusp. I'm I'm X Y. <laughs> I'm cusp. So I, but I'm I, hard most X. of my friends, I, they were they were all Gen X, you know. Just and I had this, um, you know, I started learning to play the guitar when I was 11, and my teacher was Gen X and was like proper rock and roll guitar. Like there was a lot of people, and I was like 11, 12, and there was this guy that he had like. A sister my age she was like 10 years older than me and he thought like I was cute because I played a guitar and I was like 12 he was like yeah I'm a rocker you know and he he was um into making me mixtapes like nice. you don't know about this man I'm gonna do a, a mixtape for you about this and then he I remember like distinctly remembered he did me a Doors mixtape and nice. that's how I got in so, like, there's always somebody who's going to introduce you to uh, to something when it's important, you know. And then I remember, like, I started buying the poetry books because in Portugal we had the bilingual editions, um, nice. all the, nice. you know, the Wilderness and the American Night. Everything was, like, a published bilingual. That's so, great. You know, That's just... Yeah, so you you get into it and, it and it's a vortex like you said like once once you start getting excited about it it's a vortex yep it's a total vortex I love it and I feel like 
our time i realizing i think i think it must be like a saturn thing because it, it seems to be these like 29 30 year cycles it's like the 60s and the 90s and the 90s and now i recently realized that like okay i grew up you know my high school was like 91 to 95 right so like everyone then was listening to like the 60s music like the doors and the beatles and pink floyd and all this stuff led zeppelin and i'm realizing now that like kids that are in high school now like the 90s music is just as long ago as the 60s was to us and that's yeah something else but, I, that's, but anyway, insane. that's really insane i'm like wow they listen to like that's, nirvana that's and they think that it's like like we think of the doors like that's wild exactly yeah yeah exactly and I sometimes you know I'm not that kind of person that's just like oh the 90s were just 10 years ago no I I can't you know I can't acknowledge it's like 30 years ago I, 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 re I remember 30 years ago little, yeah. <laughs> 30 years ago but sometimes you still get those gaps like yesterday I was just you know I shared on Twitter that I just remembered like the first EP from my first band came out 20 years ago and I was like I was a kid but at the time, like what probably happened to you when you were in high school, like when you look at the pictures and you remember everything, just like, oh, my God, I was such a kid. But at the time, no, I am an adult. Totally. <laughs> you always think that you're more mature than you actually are. I, I, I think that's great. Yeah. Yeah. You feel like an adult compared to a little child <laughs> because that's who you're comparing yourself to when you're that age you're like well, I'm not a little kid anymore it's like okay you're not a little kid but you're not that old <laughs> and it's so it's very slowly you know time goes by very slowly like a lot of stuff fits in a year because you're you're loaded with new experiences right like that's that's why you have a different perception of time when you're younger because every day is so loaded with different stuff new stuff you're always trying out new things actually I think that's the secret for you know making time stretch as you age is keep on trying new things because you know time is it's just it doesn't exist it's just the perception so if if you keep on you know, fitting a lot of stuff into like you said like you fit a lot of stuff onto your day <laughs> You always have the feeling that your week lasted like a month. Um, I, I like that, you know, but, but I have the, I have that feeling like often. Sometimes I get weeks that I feel lasted a month. Sometimes I get weeks that I feel lasted a day. And and some, and, and then I talk to other people like, don't you feel like this week? And they're like, yeah, why? It's like, you know, it's, it's elastic, you know, with we don't know <laughs> we don't know I definitely think I love that you integrated astrology into this as well because I've been thinking more and more that astrology seems to have like even bigger part than I realize in things because I always notice people are going through the same kind of mood things or relationship things at certain periods and now like I said too I think it must be a Saturn thing that like these decades seem to link up or something and I feel like it must be a Saturn return thing that all these stars die at 27 you know it's like they don't make it through their Saturn return they burn out yeah totally because you know did you remember your Saturn return do you remember I, did, I don't think I knew what it was at the time but I remember that yeah, age like, and it was back. wild <laughs> yep 
Yep. Same. Same. I mean, I knew what it was, but I wasn't as much into astrology as I am now. And looking back, then, you know, it's the fun part is like going back and analyzing it with the knowledge that you have now, just like, oh, yes. And I, I, I know people that are going through Saturn return right now. It's mostly people Saturn and Pisces. And I get that people are scared. <laughs> it's like, oh my God, Saturn return. It's like, <laughs> it's nothing to be scared about, but, you know, I just, it, things are going to change. Things, they, like if, if, if you, usually when you don't, it's when you don't want them to change that they actually change. So, totally the yeah. way my my mom who yeah. says she's not a hippie who lived with Stephen Sills and, and David Crosby crashed on her couch and went to this concert where Jim Morrison's alleged exposure happened she had my natal chart done when I was born and her astrologer who became oh, my same. astrologer my, mine too yeah my yeah like my, my mom was like 14 year, 14 hours of labor <laughs> and then just before she fainted uh <laughs> after having me she was just like clock time for uh, for birth <laughs> let me charge. note it yeah last, <laughs> so i get the right the time thing. yes that's yes. awesome apparently yes. i was like 31 I, hours of labor <sighs> my poor mom <laughs> and i just realized actually uh my mom's mom she died in childbirth but not with my mom with like a younger sibling and i just really her death day was last Monday and so I bought her flowers and stuff and put it with her picture and I was thinking about like what a like what those hours must have been for her like she apparently had like a very long labor and then the baby died and she died while the baby was still inside and the baby's buried with her but I was thinking then I just realized this this past like weekend that like wow my mom had this huge long labor with me like 31 hours and like she might not be as conscious of it because she's not very psychoanalytically conscious of things. <laughs> she just acts them out. Um, but she must have like unconsciously been really scared if that's the way her mother died. You know what I mean? I just like realized no, that know, it's like last weekend. And, you know, it saddens me that you s- it's 2023 and there are still people going through it. Like I- I've had like friends having babies like the past year and um most of them their experiences are not very pleasant you know just uh, women are still treated like you know vessels you know it's just, if anything goes wrong you save the baby and you know you're just you know women are just valid while they're in the childbearing years you know all that crap and we should be ahead I'm not even talking about social support and economic I, I'm, I'm not even going to go there because you know in Sweden I, I have like my best friend married a Swedish man and she lives in Stockholm and she had her two children there and it's very different because you have a whole lot of system and support that you don't have in Portugal or France but I'm not even going to talk about that that changed a lot but you know the whole approach towards the female body you know it's just like it's everybody's business when it comes to legislation but then when it comes to actual security and you know well-being is just like it's it's very disposable and you know like um sometimes you when you when you don't have children and you're still in your um childbearing years sometimes I, I think of it as kind of an act of resistance because you refuse to uh 
give to a society that will just you know you're you're just good to them as long as you know you reproduce which is like talking like you're an an animal no disrespect but you know yeah that's, that's, uh, that, that's also why I forever <laughs> exactly and that's also why I chose to talk about you know the counterculture countercultural relationship with with women and feminism and everything because we have this idea that they were all also progressive and I mean your mom must remember that but women are just like yeah we want you to be progressive because we want you to be always eager and able to have sex um but you know we still expect you to go in the kitchen after a rally (laughs) and that contradiction um some sometimes you forget about it you know sometimes we 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 forget about how the most revolutionary factions of society are still so reactionary in in those terms but you know it is what it is (laughs) now people still ask me all the time like oh do you have kids I'm like no they're like oh but you still can and I'm like I don't want to (laughs) I never did but no (laughs) yeah I never even thought about it I'm just like no never thought about it actually the only time I thought about it was when I married Carl and I did move to Sweden I was 39 and then uh Carl asked like is that something you want to do you know and I I actually gave it a thought I was like okay if I was gonna do it this guy is really cool and stable he's a good dad he was a single dad he raised his kid he's great Sweden has free education and health care and all these social service paternity leave maternity leave okay if I was gonna do it this would be like the right place to do it and then I was like no <laughs> I'd rather just hang out with Carl and travel around and do other things thanks exactly <laughs> I live yeah. my life instead of taking care of someone else's life <laughs> yeah you know I'm, I remember I made sure like when I turned 30 like I'm, I'm 39 right now um but when I turned 30 was the first time that I actually you know sat down as like do I want to have kids because this I will be theoretically in my last decade about it but I know I don't have like a stable relationship either so I would never have kids on my own and it was never something I wanted to do but at the same time I wanted to make sure I remember having this conversation with my gynecologist and she's really cool and I was like oh you want to make sure that your baby box is still working just in case yeah (laughs) you know just let's just make sure you know obviously that you're healthy but also that if that is still an option you know if if you if you still change your mind and she said because you know now it's not like 40 like you you can it's not like it was in the old days you can still extend it if you want to but I remember she asked like once and it was just like I don't think I was just like sure okay because you know sometimes doctors they put a lot of pressure on you Mm -hmm. she was just like okay not your things like no no, it's just not, you know, I wish I'm a single child. So that's kind of sad that I don't get to be an aunt. <laughs> you know, I feel sad I for my parents. You know? They're cute. <laughs> yeah, I have that. I do. My mom compensates with, with my cat, with Prozac. She sends him, you know, gifts. I see her. She's like, she's My mom sends my dog gifts too. <laughs> there you go. There you go. You know, they know, you know, they just like. Yeah. No, I told my mom and something in my like late 30s. I was like, mom, I don't want to have kids. And she said, I understand. 
I was like, that was the that was a good mom reaction there. <laughs> not like, oh no, why? I want to be a grandma. And my mom was like, I understand. I was like, thank you. Because she's a hippie that doesn't think she's a hippie. <laughs> I think like the the biggest hippies are those saying I'm not a hippie. You know, it's it's always <laughs> when you don't see yourself as one. But uh yeah, I mean after all like you told me i mean she definitely well and she saw jim morrison live how cool is that yeah and she was at altamont too <laughs> she, oh, all she, these, she did not go to woodstock because the people who did woodstock was like some guy from miami was helping organize it and they were all gonna like drive up with like bushels of weed or whatever and she didn't want to like be driving to new york in like a car full of pot because she didn't she didn't think that was a good idea it's so she smells. didn't go with not them something that you can't easily <laughs> feel like it smells yeah so i think that was probably smart of her but <laughs> so did, she missed did, she, uh, did, she, uh, <laughs> did she witness the the you know the stuff with uh you know the hell's angels at altamont was she still there or had she yeah. left by then oh, she, no, she was still there mm-hmm that she confirmed she the, to, the bad vibes. <laughs> the bad vibes. Yeah, absolutely. And she lives in San Francisco, like 67 to 69. And and she used to see like Jefferson Airplane. They would just like play in people's apartments and stuff like this. <laughs> and she actually, the funny thing about her is that she like didn't even realize that any of these, like, like I was reading Just Kids, uh, but when Patty Smith's book came out, I guess it was like, I don't know, 2016 or something. And like I had in my car and she, uh, no, I bought it for her because she wanted to write down all of her like memories, like a little memoir. And so I bought her Just Kids so that she could like read someone else's memoir because that's what you should do when you're like writing, you should be reading, you know? And um, and then she's like, oh, I remember Patty. And she's like, I didn't realize she ever did anything with herself. And I'm like, mom, it's Patty Smith. And she's like, yeah, That's no, Patty she used to play at the Gaslight. Yeah. My mom was basically, there's this Gaslight Cafe in Coconut Grove. And Coconut Grove was where I grew up, was like the hippie area of Miami at that time. And it was a sister-like spot to the Gaslight in, in New York, in the village. So like they would send all the same acts down that, that would play in New York. And so like everybody played there. And, and she was like the only waitress for this little place um and yeah so she like hung out with everybody back then oh, so I love it. she had a fun life but yeah she didn't she doesn't like celebrate it she's like eh. she's one of those like oh that was my younger years you know but it's like mom that's so cool yeah <laughs> when many see people like I, I have this friend uh from los angeles um he's um he was one of the, the original producers and screenwriters for uh beverly hills 90210 um and you know we're we became friends because I was on their podcast and then he helped me with some stuff that I'm working on as well and his name is Larry Mullen and you know he's, he's from that generation and he was in LA at the time and he traveled a lot and sometimes you know I just I will just post something like, you know, as Janis Joplin record and he will comment like, oh yeah, I remember seeing her, you know, playing, you know, <laughs> I don't know, the Fillmore. <laughs> just like, you saw Janis Joplin? Oh yeah, That's she so was cool. really cool. <laughs> it's just like, what the fuck? Like you saw all these people. Yeah, I think Jimmy Hendrix was there as well. It's like, what fuck? <laughs> yeah, it's such an iconic generation. So it was such an iconic yeah. time. 
But yeah, like I said, I feel like now really resonates with then as did as did the nineties. There's like this kind of spirit of upheaval and everybody's kind of sick of the man and you know, like there's this kind of countercultural push that's trying to really overthrow this kind of old way of being that continues to persist somehow, even though yeah, it really should have died out by now. (laughs) It's cyclical, right? Right. But the thing, like, sometimes people ask me, like, why? Because I, I studied the 60s a lot, like, particularly countercultural 60s for even, you know, my research with the PhD and everything. And people ask me, like, why, in your opinion, like, why aren't we getting more, you know, revolutionary, you know, youth is more revolutionary now. And they say, like, there's this, this crucial factor, especially I'm, I'm talking about, you know, Western civilization, because we're always talking about Europe and the United States, like we can, you know, I, I, I don't even, you know, I have an idea about like other countries, but it's, it's a different reality. But it's like, the 60s, like, you were so well off economically, if you wanted to, like, you could just, you know, drop out and just get part-time job and be like this and you would pay like with that you would pay for a room easily center city and you know you didn't have to do much and right now people are fucking hungry (laughs) you know I have friends with like three jobs and they can barely afford to pay the rent let alone you know think about anything else or think about having like free time to be creative and you know and dedicate themselves to something else other than making money and it's not I'm not talking about making money for the sake of it I'm talking about making money to to survive so I said that's that's why it's very unlikely that we will have that kind of upheaval because sometimes we forget that first of all like counterculture wasn't um um consensual you know it wasn't like every single like not everyone was like your mom like there were a lot of squares <laughs> like youngsters that just wanted you know to continue with the great 50s generation and second of all it's like these were privileged people you know these were people that grew up with everything and you in order for you to be against something and revolt against something you need to have tasted it first and I think that's the big difference. You can't be, I mean, you can, but uh, I'm sorry, Prozac is just singing in the background. Um, it's great. <laughs> yeah. You can't be against something if you haven't tried it yet, because you won't know. And it, it will always, if, if you're protesting against something that you haven't tried, it will always sound like sour grapes. And for me, like, seeing this like after 50 years because you know history you start analyzing history after 50 years you can't theoretically you can't analyze it first because that's considered contemporaneity so you need to have at least half a century and when you look at it it's just like these are um privileged people so you know it just uh, now you you i mean you have a few privileged ones but those aren't the ones you know doing the revolution so the other is just sometimes people are just too tired to complain. And I, I, I totally get it. People are tired. I still think. Yeah, and it's by design. They keep people like yeah, broke and hungry they... and having a bunch of kids so they can't. Fucking... Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I, I still think I'm, I'm, I've am I'm been defending this ever since, you know, the pandemic. I 
think that we should all like collectively go to sleep for a you couple of minutes like <laughs> everybody like the whole world you know like uh, in sleeping beauty when the whole town goes to sleep when she you know she she also enters her deep sleep and everything around her stops i think we should all <laughs> like if it was humanly possible like the whole world for a couple of months should go to sleep because the way that things are right now it's we're very very tired and we're throwing um a tantrum <laughs> you know like those kids that i'm very tired i want to go to sleep so they start you know hitting things and sleep but we just throwing tantrums and just getting more and more tired uh if we see as ourselves like that's part of my book as well like saying civilization as this is psyche like norman o'brown said like our psyche is very burnt out our collective psyche is very burnt out like we should go to sleep <laughs> but you know yeah and it showed that during the pandemic that we could stop everything if we wanted to we did stop everything when we needed to with the lockdowns and stuff and so yeah if we all like collectively like stopped working and feeding this like economic machine you know maybe the powers that be would have to start changing things like investing in clean energy and stuff like that but you know power yeah they rushed us back into working in business as usual and then we're gonna have some other big disaster but we'll see whatever <laughs> i mean you see that with all those companies they're saying like remote isn't an option anymore and just like it was an option very fine option like a couple of years ago why isn't because you it's can't a great control option people. yeah because you don't want it's better not to commute and all this or sorts of stuff I'm glad I dropped out and moved to the country, but that's also like a privileged thing to be able to do. Yeah, I always say that. Like, I I can't talk specifically about my situation because I'm, you know, in pretty much a privileged situation that I can allow myself to, you know, make my own schedule and everything. But, um, you know, I I look around me and, I mean, you're not an island. So when you look at the world around you. And I think that's what makes us even more tired is um, on one hand, you can't um, you can't be aware of everything that's going on around you because you will get overwhelmed because you can't act on it. There are a lot of things that will escape you that are out of control and you have to accept it. And But at the same time, you can't be alienated from everything. You can't just, you know, bury your hand in the sand and, you know, nothing's going on. The world's fine, you know. So you have to navigate all these two realities at the same time. And th that sweet spot, you know, that's kind of Venn diagram, right? And that there's kind of a sweet spot. And for you to stay in that sweet spot, that takes a lot of effort. And that's why we're tired because we need to keep up with what's going on. But at the same time, we can't go too deep into it. Otherwise, you know, just... You, I've seen, you know, best minds of my generation, <laughs> you know, like Ginsburg said, you know, they're all going mad with that. So, yeah, so we'll see. It's like, you see, like, we'll, we'll, we'll see. And I mean, the other day I was talking to my mom and I just told her, like, we're right in the middle of a transition. Like everybody knows that, especially, you know, astrologers and ecologists, people I work with. We know that, but what's more difficult, and I think that's why things are so confusing, is that we're changing paradigms. 
and it's not the first time that happens you know it happens every you know every other era but the old paradigm is already dead and the new paradigm hasn't arrived yet so we're trying to uh, solve problems using solutions that are no, no longer viable because they're obsolete they belong to the old paradigm but at the same time they're the only solutions we got because we haven't gotten to the new paradigm yet so that's kind of confusing and everything seems very pointless so like I don't I don't have answers I'm just you know just throwing words I don't I don't have answers just like it's just my perception make art but, write, you know. write books like this <laughs> actually last <laughs> last for Jim this is going to come out on Jim's birthday so happy birthday Jim this is our birthday. celebration of you and last year on his birthday I made this collage of him Awesome. Oh, I remember book. seeing it. I love it. <laughs> That's when I started so, so. cutting up all these words are words from him. Ooh, let's see what they say, actually, because his, oh, no, I use different cut ups. I use his words mixed with my own cut ups. Should we see what it says? Okay, but that, I remember it was really good. And this is the cover of the book that I bought that I started cutting up. That's where I got. The yeah, uh, like I, I remember like seeing it and was just like, damn, this would also have been like a good cover for my book <laughs> oh yeah that's a good point loved. but it's the cover of his book but this is so good too this is yeah Kyle's i know actual photo from the cemetery when i saw it i was just like this is perfect that's because perfect. you know i never got to see statue you Me know I, I go there all the time it's, it's gone so now, good carl's so. so lucky he's gotten to do so many cool things like that like go to brian jones's grave with genesis come on iconic anyway <laughs> okay but let's see what jim says let us see i love cut up poems expanses the breast is of sexuality cinema in seen in any magazine inevitable progress uniting the two notion of a deity eyes like the child's views identity as illusory in the palm of one's hand cure blindness with a whore's spittle and real life begins some activities are impossible change terribly in their reeking seats or roam seen for curious america superb cameras worlds vacuums travel along beside to move when sex dies it becomes climax and naked sometimes offered themselves up to in the open and these secret events are the voyeurs the bird or insect that stumbles into a room this spell of passivity our actions are cruel the dadas also explored whirlwind of interest saying it was initially tricky to persuade psychoanalysis reimagining impossible selection moment of freedom released his seminal unconscious instinctual remains fundamentally all the arts of vicarious existence eyes and runs down the cheeks farewell jim morrison well oh god you know it sounds it sounds <laughs> like a spell but at the same time there was a part there that reminded me of um yaiching nice it yeah was they're kind of yeah yeah I was just like oh shit. you just go into it 
I'll oh, send you so a scan good. of it so you can read it and have all the words. Please. Yeah, please. and I also yeah, made this really oil for him. Sometimes I have very few people I've made oils from. This is this I made back in New York. Um, probably in 2015. I made an oil for him. And basically when I make oils, I like put in ingredients that I feel like represent the person and listen to their music, read their poetry, a lot of things. And I usually work on it from like a birthday to a death day. So I think I worked his opposite, like July 3rd to December 8th, his death day to his birthday. Which is also, you know, July 3rd is also Ryan Jones' uh, death, which is, that's kind of one of those dates, right? Yeah, it's, uh, but you know, I think Jim Morrison from all those, I mean, all those people are phenomenal and magical in their own way, but it depends on how they hit you, the way they hit you. Like, I, I remember Jim Morrison was always there, um, like in key moments of my life. Like, I, I lost my virginity to the door. So, nice. yeah, it's like, <laughs> I, I remember that. And I, I wasn't my, my choice. But I mean, it was the guy I was with that put the door's record on. So, it was kind of there's but I think it goes with the personality and I think I you, you agree with me on this it's one of the most sexual um overly sexual icons of that era I mean the era is already very sexual but Jim Morrison performed his sexuality in a very unique way that it kind of you know it's very sacred and very profane at the same time which is why I actually you know I love it because I see um sex as a very um ritualistic thing and I think he uh, he saw it too. he's very eight house right he's very sex death eh, taxes I don't know about that part but you know just, <laughs> but sex and death uh, for sure yeah this, it is very I remember talking that when I was um doing the astrology part of the book with um SJ and we just you know just did like a zoom uh to analyze his chart and he was like yep eighth house you know it just went straight into it and and th that's actually in the book and I remember he telling me you know I I I look at his chart and it's like he he's one of those people that his mission in life was to die <laughs> that was his primary mission that's what he came here for that that's what made him well known and that's very very visible in his birth chart and I, I think that's that's fascinating it's so interesting and what do you hope people get out of the book or take away from the book I want him to go into Doors Vertex, just like you. Yes, <laughs> just, it worked on I, me. <laughs> I want to send them into, um, you know, just either a discovery or a rediscovery or, you know, a reinvention about, you know, their perception of Jim Morrison, because I that was also one of my um, goals with the book is that I think I was talking to a, a journalist friend the other day and just like I think we need more women writing about classic rock because most books that we have like Dr. Morrison, Bob Dylan and you know that stuff were written by men and that's a uh, male gaze that's a man-oriented narrative and whenever you try to write something that deviates from the um, you know the normative narrative that, that exists about that icon just like oh you don't understand because you're a girl and girls don't understand how men feel music and rock and you get that 
all the misogyny that comes with it. So hopefully I wanted to, because I, I really like Jim Morrison, but liking somebody and his work and, you know, for poetry and music, you name it, it doesn't give you carte blanche to um, just, uh, you know, just see it as an untouchable icon that has no flaws. And that's what I wanted to show is like, you can still have those flaws. You can still humanize a character and that character can still be, you know, it's a paradox, but can still be a God, <laughs> you know, you can humanize it and, you know, then, then send them back to the pantheon um, but rehumanize, you know, just it's a change in perspective. I guess that's one of the things I wanted to to achieve with the book as well. Just give a different perspective. Yeah, it's really f fleshed out, and like you, you do the era and the man and the myth and like, the psychology and the astrology and the music and the poetry and just like all these aspects. And we won't give it away, but there's also about about his death that everybody has to go read the book to see, but there's a different narrative than the one that's blatantly given. Yeah, and you know, that's the French narrative uh, because I saw like a lot of French documentaries and I talked to some people, you know, because, you know, it people, you know, hung out with him. So mm -hmm. at the time, and I, I know like a couple of people that knew him and it's so, so different from what you see about the conspiracy theory is he really dead it's so different it's just a series of events of unfortunate events but you know I, I won't give it away and then you know you have all the addresses like if you're planning a trip to Paris I give out a lot a lot of addresses like if you want to do your own Morrison itinerary um you know you have like you know streets you know number you can do your own you know following the footsteps of Jim if if you want to like if you're it's it's just this holiday suggestion I think <laughs> absolutely yeah and I'm definitely I'm actually I don't think they'll listen to this I'm getting this book for both of my parents for Christmas oh <laughs> this is their Christmas gift because I, I want I, I want that generation I want, I want their feedback actually uh I'm I'm super curious especially your mom like I'm super super curious about their feedback you know I, I can't wait, you know, to, to hear more about, you know, now that the book is out and people will start reading it. And I'm, I'm really excited because, you know, a book is only alive if it reaches people and people, um, you know, respond to it and they add to it because otherwise, you know, the book is dead and then you just, you need to, to keep it, you know, reading through, through, uh, you know, interpretations and all that kind of stuff. So I can't wait to to hear about you know what people think about it. What people even even if they say no, I don't agree with you at all. Well, that's fine. You know, just uh, this is this is a perspective. This is a a possible viewpoint. You know, as I as I say in the book, like I I can I can imagine imagine you know Jim Morrison like wherever he is like with his leather pants. You know, just that pose that we all know, just reading the book and just like fucking bullshit you know just just having like a good laugh you know just what this this girl know you know just uh, just having but, you know, a lot genuinely... about French philosophy and psychoanalysis <laughs> yeah I mean he, he really enjoyed that so I, that's what I tried to do you know I went to his favorite authors and I was like oh you like that author so I'm gonna use this author to analyze you how about that Jim <laughs> let's do this <laughs> exactly I, I love it I think it's great and I highly recommend it for everybody listening 
Is there anything you wanted to mention? Oh, I know. I, did, I don't think I mentioned when we were recording that my mom was at that concert in Miami. And then she said that everybody took off their clothes. <laughs> the oh, whole audience no. was going wild. And apparently the stage collapsed and stuff. Like it was a whole scene. I'm yep. very sad that the Miami government gave him such grief. You know, that I think there was this um, pardon a couple of years ago. I remember reading about it. Like, Right. 40 years after just like oh yeah the Dade dead. county it's <laughs> like seriously but you know there is a, there is no video recording of the concert because you know how how would they know but there is an audio recording which i used for them you know getting the sentences right and the order of events and you can actually hear the crowd um going wild and you know all, all the songs just being cut off and I know I I actually feel for the rest of the doors because I think that besides Raymond Zarek, um, I think the other two were just getting really tired about it because Raymond Zarek was very spiritual as well. So I think he he kind of he he, he went along with what Morrison did, but John and Robbie, you know, God bless him, they're they're still among us. I think they were very, you know, come on, man. We just want to play rock and roll what the fuck are you doing there he goes again with another poem okay let's just do drum roll yeah. solo yeah is the poem okay it's not over yet another drum roll well wow, just, just you know just i love it i love when he goes in those tangents i think they're so great and i think it's another great in- thing that you point out in the book that like you know, these kinds of, I mean, people need these ecstatic events, like people talk about it, ecstasis, like with rave, rave events, and these kinds of concerts where everybody would go wild. And it's something that's been part of like human culture forever. And we don't, we didn't really have a place for it in this kind of white Western, you know, culture of this time. So it's interesting that people kind of found a way to have those experiences anyway, through like rock concerts and things, you know? Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, Spirit, I'm sorry about my cat. He's like, he, he wants to sink as well, like Jim. Um, <laughs> but I think it's like, you know, it's it's part of the great spiritual crisis of the West, right? We always need spirituality. Yeah, we do. Uh, and I think that's one of the biggest problems right now is that people are not, and that was one of the biggest problems then, like people are not satisfied with the options they're giving by, you know, institutions and most western institutions and at the same time some people have money you know they just worship money and that's it and but you always feel like a void like you start you know buying and you know consumerism and everything but you get to a point that you're just like there has to be something else and I'm not even talking about you know afterlife that's that's a whole other matter I I mean right now like in this life like you're alive there's a whole, whole dimension and I think like live music concerts and that kind of events, like mass events, um, can be replacements, like collective replacements for rituals. I mean, they are a ritual in itself, but I mean like spiritual rituals because you feel a kind of uh, energy that can go like really good <laughs> and really bad, like you mentioned, like a, we mentioned an altamont, because it creates a kind of synergy um, with the collective energy that you see in. Um, you know, in, in, in churches and, you know, rituals of all kinds. So I, I, that's, that's why the rock icon can function as a kind of a prophet 
because you know it's not usually it's not himself that declares himself a prophet it's the people that follow him that declare him as such so there's there's always a parallel between these things yeah totally is there anything else you wanted to mention that we didn't get to that uh you want to talk about before we wrap up uh I would think so because I'm just afraid that I would give too much away and I yeah. really want they have you know, to go get the I don't book. Want to, <laughs> yeah, and I want I don't want to give my opinion because I don't want people to go read the book like with a bias about like, oh, she's already gonna talk about this. So just enough teasing. I think we did enough teasing. Yeah. I think what are did. you working on now? Uh I'm working like on a couple of stuff that I can't um I can't we'll talk find about out. yet, <laughs> but when the time comes, you know, I will, I will let you know. I'm a couple of like really exciting stuff. Um, diving into again, discographies and, and I, I, I love research, you know, just that's why I did my PhD. Like I love research and I love, you know, discovering new stuff and then, uh, seeing like there's a different way from point a to point b that the one that you've been told and you know that's my i'm i'm mostly mercurial by nature so i love i'm i'm very curious you know i'm always moving really fast i'm always like we're here talking i'm always like you know just moving and i'm just like itching to read more and talk more and see more and more and more and more so Good. Yeah. Well, I look forward to like, having you back when you can talk us. about your other things when they come out. Yes, of course. Of course. Always a pleasure, you know? Yeah. And yeah, like I said, I'm going to put this out on Friday for Jim's birthday. Oh, that's really cool. Can't wait. Yeah. yeah. All right. Thank you, Anna. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Rendering Unconscious. You've just heard a discussion with Dr. Anna Leone about her brand new book, This is the Strangest Life I've Ever Known, a psychological portrait of Jim Morrison. Be sure to pick it up at trapar.net or wherever you love to find your books online. And be sure to follow Anna at Anna Leone at Instagram and Twitter. Many thanks to Carl Abrahamson, who created the intro and outro music for Rendering Unconscious Podcast. You can check out his website, carlabrahamson.com, and his record label, highbrowlowlife.bandcamp.com. You can follow Carl on social media at carl.abrahamson at Instagram and caabrahamson at Twitter and Carl Abrahamson at TikTok. And now the song, Be the True Self, cut-ups were used from the album, The Experience for the Weird by myself and Pete Murphy, available at petemurphy.bandcamp.com. You can also find our music streaming at Spotify. Just search for Vanessa Sinclair and Pete Murphy. Enjoy. But we were forced to scatter, kill him, because that would have meant to kill his senses. 
despite her meddling. No sound greet my ears, which is, it seems to work more. Be the true self. Why am I here? But we physical. It's not sacred. Play with it. I am here because you are here. Synthesis incarnate. The music, lyrics, I believe. We. Atonal. A spiral. A serpent's. Precise confrontation. Thanks again. Spiritual and physical. Waiting. Cool down. Hermaphrodite and angelic. Into your. Into me. Swinging back. Society. Where his work on. Got my. Light my fire. Backwards. Water. Surrealism grew out of Dada and good, defining Dada as its resistance to definition. We get back. Careers overlapped over mindless TV, etc. More with you. It's loud, an alternative. This non-duality can be my guiltless, as we discussed earlier, joined as one, joined by, embrace thee, on thee only, to be, too, is paradoxical, this non-duality can be my eyes, that pause, conversations, in the void, but away from home, we are performing the lessons life has. Candles left burning in tribute. Explain in a word while she is and guides them. We asked and they said yes it was actually forever then. That was a very specific moment. The mirror. Cut-ups were used that pause. Cut-ups were used. They probably thought we were crazy. Cut-ups were used. There was a film inside. Cut-ups were used. We were trying to get in. It was a funny moment. Cut-ups were used. But we didn't know better then. Atmosphere. Cut-ups were used. We hate you, little girls. And basically, cut-ups were used. He had the same feeling that the others wanted him to die. Cut-ups were used. So we cooked up a plan. Basically, reinforcing my position 
that they were hoping that I would die on stage. Cut-ups were used. And they would be on a gravy train forever. Then this whole thing came up. Cut-ups were used. Trying to insist they go to America so they could make more money. Cut-ups were used. Isn't that what you had wished for? Cut-ups were used. Let's drag out the process. Let's go slow. That will put you on the market. Cut-ups were used. As being someone who exists, so to speak. Books last longer than most things. 